It's Friday, it's 11 o'clock, you're listening to Indie Live Radio and the daytime show is back. This is the first show of 2021. I'm Marlene Halliday, I'm here with Val Gold and we've got the show ready to go. We've got two guests. Our first guest is Grace Ferguson, who lives up in Aberdeenshire. Our second guest is Gavin Simpson, who lives in the Netherlands. These two interviews are the first of a new venture, well, a new interviewing venture that that Val and I are going to pursue over the coming months. We're not quite sure what to call it yet, but maybe we'll call it Grassroots Chat. Often when we're here, we're interviewing people from Yes Groups, or we're interviewing politicians, or we're interviewing people with particular expertise or area of interest. And... Grassroots Chat is, well, pretty well what it says on the tin. It's Val and I talking to other folk just like ourselves, grassroots activists, the people living in Scotland, living elsewhere, who want Scotland to be an independent country. So Grace and Gavin are our first two guinea pigs. Oh, shouldn't call them that, really. So we're going to start off chatting to Grace. Now, Grace and I follow each other on Twitter and... uh, some of her tweets caught my eye. I started to think, oh, she sounds like a woman with a mind of her own, got her own opinions, got some good ideas in there. So I contacted Grace and said, how do you fancy coming on Indie Live Radio? She was up for that. And a couple of days back, Val and I interviewed her. Yeah, so I was saying to Val um, oh, probably a few months back, I was thinking, because she and I are getting more and more contacts amongst yes groups and, you know, indie supporters yeah. and then, you know, obviously on Twitter and stuff, I was thinking, oh, it might be quite a good idea just every now and again, or maybe regularly, if we can get folk to, to do it, to have a kind of, um, uh, I don't know what you'd have, a kind of grassroots indie activist kind of spot on the show. Yeah. So, um, so you're our first one. <laughs> You may decide after me, you won't do it again. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. But anyway, it's, it's really good that they've come on and like we were saying to you, you know, uh, we we have done a lot of the, pro- the shows live, but it's beginning to be more difficult technically to do that. So I think we'll probably yeah. will be recording and obviously we're recording this uh, this just now. Yeah. We I go through it and edit out all my ums and ahs and Val's ums <laughs> and ahs and probably edit out your ums and ahs as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So, so we always end up um, uh, seeming more fluent than we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously then, going way back to 2014, you were uh, convinced, you were convinced about uh, independence back then. Oh, yes, but only a few months before it, actually. Oh, oh that's interesting. Because I started off um, doing having this thing about, oh, you know what, it's nice to work together with another, you know, countries together, oh. do all that kind of stuff, you know. And then, of course, the more I heard them saying, no, you're too poor, you're too stupid, you're too, too small, and all these things, the more I thought, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense, you know. And this yeah. isn't the kind of relationship we should be having. You sound more like an abusive partner. So I kind of went to say, you know, if this was a person, I would be saying, no, of course you can stand on your own feet. Of course you can be independent because that makes sense. You were just saying about it's a bit like an abusive partner. And actually, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting putting it that way because if you... You know, if we had a friend and we saw them with a partner or whatever else situation being abused, we would be saying to them, hey, that's not right. Don't be taken in by that. Yeah, of course we would. And the other thing was that things didn't make sense as well, because remember two, 2014, we had premium oil gushing out of our oil wells at premium prices. And, you know, and they were saying, no, you're too poor. And I'm going, but that doesn't make sense. How can we be too poor? And then I kind of looked at Scotland and went, do you know what? We are still poor. Why are we still poor when we've got all this oil, which we had then? But since the oil uh, prices dropped, of course, then I've looked at other things, you know, and thought, well, what else do we have, you know? But it was mostly the thing about the more they said, no, you can't do this because you're not good enough. 
which was basically what they were saying, the more I thought, yes, we are. Of course we are. And also, when when the Scottish government came into power, first of all, now I wasn't that keen on the SNP at first, right? And I really wasn't. Um, But then, you know, I was really keen on devolution, really loved devolution. But it wasn't until the Scottish government came into power that I began to see changes. And as I say, I wasn't a a fan particularly then, but you could feel it was actually, the change was actually palpable. And I often say to people, you know, we were like a stagnant pond and all of a sudden fresh water started running through us, you know, and stirring the waters a bit and you could feel changes. And that was simply because we finally had a government who cared about us, who tried to do something, whose, whose, um, whose uh, focus was on making Scotland better. And there was a huge change. Now, I'm not always, you know, I do have issues with the SNP and all that, you know, but, you know, it was such a change. And, but they have done a huge amount, I would say, you know, to, to help, to change Scotland. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you could see, you know, well, houses are being built, roads are being finished, things are actually being done. And that was the first time and actually, in less than a decade, we have gone from being a stagnant pond to a progressive country, you know, and that's a huge, that's huge, yeah, you know, yeah. all this time, you know, yeah. so... Interesting what you say, Grace, about the palpable change. I've got a friend, yeah. I remain nameless, right, who worked quite high up in the civil service, and her yeah. job was, like, to liaise with ministers, and she worked with the Labour administration before the SNP came in. Now, she's yeah. the SNP now. I'm not quite sure at what point she transitioned, as it were, but um, she, she said to me an interesting thing. She said that when the SNP ministers came in, the change was quite marked, and she said yeah. that they were far more rigorous, far more determined to do a yep. good job and to yep. do things properly. And the governance was much stricter, and it was just a different ball game all all together. And yeah. that, and and I mean, she's she's an academic, and she's you know she's although she supports SNP, she wouldn't be saying that if she didn't mean it. And I thought. Yeah. That that was really yeah. interesting that as a civil servant she could see that marked difference yeah absolutely you know and as I say I, at the time I wasn't a particular fan but I could just feel it you know say, you know what if there is a difference though you can you know it was it was definite things were changing things were moving things were progressing and that oh. was the difference you know oh. and it's um after you know after everything just being the same for so long and I think you know because I used to go down and see friends in London and meet sort of people who had moved from Scotland to London and you know in parties and things and they would be talking about Scotland that they had left you Mm. know and I mean the stories were funny and you know and was good but I wanted to scream at them it's not like that now. You know, it's not like that now. It's changing, and it's changing for the better. So it has changed an but awful think, lot. Can you think of some examples of that? That's interesting, Grace. What kind of things do you think that they were thinking still existed that had changed? Oh, I, I think the whole lifestyle. I think everything um, they were saying about um, how people will, how people still lived, and you know, it was just an old-fashioned idea of you know, I mean, the Scotland that they had left. And because as well, because I think they had been used to it being like that forever before, you know, it's it's actually difficult because they've only been home to see mum once, you know, once a year for a week or something, you know, a duty visit. They, you know, unless you actually live here, you can't really tell people how much it has changed, how much Scotland has woken up. You know, it's been shaken awake, yeah. and that's a really good thing, I think. You know, yeah, indeed. It's... I mean, I I lived down in, um, we're actually in Wales, but it was just on the border yeah. of Wales and England near Shrewsbury yeah. for the, some years in the early two thousands. So, uh-huh. so the Parliament was up and running. I mean, it was Labour Lib Dem administrations, yeah, yeah. but you know, and I think even then, um, you know, things were just how people thought about Scotland 
changed because I'd come back up or, you know, I'd be talking to friends, um, fr friends up here. And I just noticed people, when the people said the capital, they meant Edinburgh. When they said Parliament, they meant Holyrood. And, yes. and it was a case of, oh, maybe we could do that and maybe we could do that. And, and yeah, you know, a, a whole load of stuff still reserved to Westminster, but just the yeah. beginnings of, well, if we want to do that differently, now we'll be able to. So that was very early on, 2000, 2002, 2004, yeah. or something like that. And, but it was quite, it was quite a distinct change, a bit of, as you've been saying, a shift, definite kind of shift in where yeah. you look to for how you can make things happen. Yes. Oh, exactly. And, uh, you know, and as I say, we now have we now have a government that actually thinks about put Scotland first. And that didn't happen before. Yeah. You know, that definitely didn't happen before. And we came secondary. But you can't, we cannot go on having our decisions. I mean, we, can, we can't thrive if we have one hand tied behind our back. We cannot reach our 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 um our potential our full potential if we have our decisions overturned ignored um and uh, and you know the people and what the people wanted want or vote for just being absolutely discarded you know it's, it doesn't matter so the only way i believe that scotland can thrive is to be an independent nation because if they've achieved so much in a decade who knows? Yeah. Who knows what we can achieve, you know, if we're actually given free free reign to do as we want rather than what somebody else tells us to, Happy you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, so you're, 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 half, you're half English yourself, is that right? I am, yes. My mother, my mother's Scottish, father was English. Um, they're both past now. Um, but... So I grew up um, as a child. I lived in Scotland, England, and Germany. As an adult, I've lived in Scotland and England, but I've been back in Scotland a long time now. But I absolutely, I love, I love uh, England. I love Scotland. Love England. Um, I think in England is beautiful. It's got beautiful places. There's it a does, lot yeah. of good people. Yeah, that, yeah, there's a lot of good people in England. And I still have friends and family there, you know. So it's not, it's got nothing to do with, um, I mean, independence is only about self-governance, you know, about being, an in, being a normal country. It is not, it's a weird relationship we have, you know, for a country to be, um, I mean, it, I keep using the word colony, but it feels like we're a colony and it really does. You know, if you don't, if you can have a vote on something and then have it oh that doesn't matter because you voted like that because we tell you it doesn't matter and if we you know if we um have to ask for a referendum that seems really strange to me that you have to ask another country if you can ask your country what countrymen what they think you know that yeah. just seems yeah. That just seems strange. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't feel now, now, I tell you, and I think, yeah, probably last 10, 15 years maybe, it doesn't feel like it's a partnership. It doesn't feel like it's good neighbours. It feels, as you no. say, it feels like increasingly, well, you can't do that and you can't do that. And I suppose that's because yeah. we've diverged. I mean, given the opportunity mm -hmm. with a parliament, Gradually, you know, we realised well, we do want to do things differently, and we're not going to hang around if we don't need to. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, yeah, I think I think the idea of us working together. I think it was it was when we sent what was it fifty six MPs oh, to yeah, yeah to um, to Parliament that that showed us the stark reality, you know, because it doesn't didn't matter who Scotland voted for didn't matter if we sent I mean if every MP and it almost was was sent to uh, to Westminster it wouldn't have made a jot of difference it made no difference that that happened and I think that really pointed out to me you know like you know what's what's happening here you know yeah. what's happening here why is our voice here it's yeah. lost yeah. and will always be lost you know because England has 200 and something 
MPs. You know, and we only have 59. So if we vote, all vote for one thing, you know, and they vote for something else, just well, know me that our wishes can be heard. I think they've got something they, more like 550 MPs, isn't it? Oh, maybe, yes. 650 altogether. I'm not good with numbers. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's, but you get the idea. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's fair enough. I mean, fair enough. I mean, they've got the bigger population. But when we start kind of realising that um, where a significant, you know, nation in one of the four nations wants to do things differently, then, yeah, it really shows up the limitations of that. The recent changes, I think we're getting even less. England are to get 10 oh, yes. for it and we've to get two less, I believe. Yes, yes, so, yes. But I so, mean, you see, even if we had every single MP, SNP, um, the, the the two you know the the sort of two party first past the post system doesn't yeah. represent yeah. and I think I think the other thing is that in our Scottish Parliament we have this this um we have only only two parties are registered in Scotland you know on our on our Parliament you know so if we had a real Scottish Labour and a real Scottish Liberal Dem Democrats and real Scottish Tories, then maybe I would listen to them a bit more. But while they're registered in England, mm. you know, I'm sorry, I just don't see that they're ever going to put our needs first, mm. ever. You know, it's so that's, that's my opinion. It's yeah. the famous branch office syndrome, isn't it? Oh, oh absolutely, so absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're not going to work for us, they're going to work for, you know, Westminster, of course they are. You know, that's just the way it is, really. You know, so yeah. it seems to me that the current Tory government have they've really abandoned all pretense even of caring about Scotland. You know, I mean, yes. Boris Johnson is quite open in his disregard and scorn. I mean, I think mm -hmm. you know, some time ago he made that famous quote about a pound in Croydon yes. better spent than a pound in Strathclyde, which obviously is yes. quite a while ago mentioned in Strathclyde. But they're quite open in their disregard now. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I watch I, I watch um, Parliament UK Live and I watch Scottish Parliament. And, you know, and that's the only way I think you can really see what is happening, you know, in in Westminster uh, and in Holyrood and in Holyrood you know and it's um, I would advise everybody to do that you know because that you know because then I'm sure you would start to go wait a minute look at the way we're treated look at this you know scorn the ridicule the you know at times racism I think you know mm -hmm. towards you know towards Scotland and certainly. that's not acceptable it's not acceptable it's certainly scornful, isn't it? I mean, you know, oh, you, you can because I I do a bit of watching live, you know, Commons proceedings as well. And the minute any of the Scottish yeah. SNP MPs get up, Ian Blackford in particular, but actually yeah. they do it for all of them. Certainly do it yeah. for Joanna. You know, there's this immediately chunt chuntering starts from and people are catcalling and. It's it's really it's just horrible, really horrible. And I think, well, I don't even understand why. I mean, I understand, you know, they feel that scorn. But surely you'd think, well, they know this is being live broadcast. We we are seeing this in Scotland, you know. We, yes. It's not giving us a very good impression about you know the mother of all the parliaments. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there you yeah. were. So you put, by the time the referendum came, you'd persuaded yourself <laughs> to vote yes, and and, yes. Uh, and then all this time goes by. So so what are you thinking about um, about when we might get the next referendum? Are you optimistic for this year? I I'm always optimistic. I'm always I'm always hoping. I yeah. I certainly think that. Um, I mean, I, I would never believe that this is our last chance or a last chance for years or whatever, but I would certainly think this is our best chance. And so we should take the opportunity as it's presented itself. And partly because I want to get back in the EU, you know, I think yes. I, I feel I feel we have lost so much by leaving the EU, um, you know, so much for our young people. Um, you know, Erasmus has gone, you know, yeah. freedom of movement has gone and, you know, and, and I'm a great believer in freedom of movement because I'm a great believer in diversity. 
you know, I want I want people from different countries to come here. I want to be able to travel to different countries because we learn so much from each other. You know, so yes, a huge loss leaving the EU without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that people will have the courage this time to go for the referendum and to vote yes, obviously. You know, but um, it's going to be a hard it's going to be a hard battle, and none of us can be complacent about it. You know, I think mm. we've, we've we've got to get out and fight for what we want. You know. And, uh, it's difficult just now, isn't it, Grace, because of the lack of um, scope for active campaigning? Um, I mean, obviously sure. we can campaign online, but there is that danger of the echo chamber where you're in, you know, you're just talking to like-minded yeah. people. Yes, but you know, America managed to campaign in their ref- in their election, yeah. and I mean, lots of countries have, of course, you know. Um, and I think if American can do it, surely Scotland can do it. You know, <laughs> I mean, if they can, um, if they can carry out an election during this pandemic, yeah. then you know, and campaign for their candidates and all the rest of it, you know, then surely we can. Surely we can. You know, and they're not, and they're not the only countries had elections. Other countries had have had as well. So we just yeah, yeah. you know look at how they did it and copy. Yeah, I saw, I saw a big list the other day of all the countries that have had elections yep. during the pandemic, and it was, I mean, there must have been about 30 countries at least on the list all over the world, Asia, yeah. Africa, Latin yeah. America, North America, all yes. over. And it's, I mean, it's important, I think, you know, the message has always been that even a pandemic can't stop democracy, you know, <laughs> and so, so pandemic shouldn't stop democracy here. And this is, you know, giving us a vote, asking our citizens what they want is democratic, you know, and, you know, that's, that's you know, it's, it's part of the democratic process. Indeed. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. should but never be stopped. The unionist side are definitely trying to play that card, aren't they? Oh. Saying things like, oh, it's outrageous, you shouldn't be talking about things like referendums during a, a during a pandemic. But I, I was watching the Scot- Politics Scotland this morning and uh, John Swinney gave quite a robust answer to that. You know, the idea that yeah. that's precisely... And he, he really articulated what I feel, that... It makes it actually more urgent and more essential yep. because we need to have control of the society that we are rebuilding. And had we had been independent, we would have—I think—we would have managed this pandemic better than because we've been constrained by this four-nation approach. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's just a—it's a. The unionists all join together. It's as if they're one party. They all act together. They all say the same things. You know, they all read from the same script. So, you know, it shouldn't be hard for us just to sort of say, look, you know, you're all talking nonsense. You know, which is what they're normally doing. You know? You're just talking nonsense. You know, this is democracy. You can't even stop it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting. <laughs> Obviously, Val, you, we, you and I were watching different programs. I was watching the Andrew Marsh show this morning, and you know, at the end, he's talking to, and uh, you know, he was talking about, um, he was talking to Keir Starmer, and and they did get on to talking about, you know, was there any possibility about elections being postponed now in particular we're talking about the English well it's the English local elections but it's yeah. also the English mayoral elections so you know the the big sort of conurbations in England and I mean actually what was coming out of it was, was a, a, a strong kind of message that down there people are saying no we definitely want to have these elections in May a bit of well maybe we have to have contingency plans just in case that would only be sensible but the aim is to do that and I thought yeah and for the same reason as us because you know if you're on the Labour side down south you and you you've got a mayoral election or local elections next year they could all often uh, you know, be able to assume that they'd make gains from that because of people sure. getting fed up with how the tour and uh, you know, same up here. I mean, they did mention the the elections up here as well before going on to 
how Keir Starmer doesn't think we need another referendum. <laughs> anyway, let's not go there. Let's not go there. So, look, an another thing. Another thing you mentioned when you and I were emailing each other um, was just you know recognizing that it's the it's the elderly population of which Val and I are definitely part of. And, and me, I all three of us, uh, you know, and we're not our our law, our bunch are not yet convinced. I mean, there's a little bit of a shift yeah. since six years ago, but we're yeah, the one yeah. part. Of I mean, this. I think, yeah, I think the, the 2014. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Uh, I was I was just going to say that the 2014 um, referendum result showed a a, a big difference in a real division between young people and older people, in that the young people voted for change and the older people voted for the status quo. So I think it's really important that we look at what the status quo they were voting for, because the status quo to older people means that they know that every month their pension goes into their bank account. That, and, and they know because, and I mean, no things are gonna fluctuate and all th kinds of things could happen, but they are fairly sure they're not going to starve to death and they've not and they're not going to die of um cold so that i think is the most important thing that we try and um have hard fast evidence that they will get pensions get they will continue to get their pensions i mean i i think just to say oh, you know, older people, you know, they're afraid of change. I think that's a bit dis disrespectful, to be honest, you know. Mm. We've got to look at what they're afraid of, and that's what they're afraid of, yeah. you know, not having that security yeah. in their, you know, in the, by the way, do you notice know I'm saying they? They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're old age, you know. Whereas people but, were lied to, weren't they, on the doorstep? Oh, absolutely, people absolutely. Would get their pensions, they would <laughs> Yes, and I've, I've spoken to more than one person who said, I was frightened for my pension. Yeah. You know, that's, I voted no because I was frightened for my pension. You know, and, um, that's so I think that's that's a that's a really big thing, you know, to actually, you know, not treat older people just as if they're just oh they're just stubborn or they can't change or they're frightened of change, but to look at actually what are their fears? Because they're real fears, you know, if you think, you know, you might not get your pension, that's a real fear. Yeah. And that's, so that's one of the know, things that a pensioners for independence focus very much on in their leaflets. Oh, and good, yes. You know, they do a regular... I, I have been, but not regularly recently. They, they, even during the pandemic, they did start up a stall again in Argyle Street. But okay. They one every Thursday, but that stopped now with the stricter regulations. But well, Marlene has actually designed some... herself designed some fantastic leaflets for... Right. Um, pensioners for India, and one of the things it shows is the co the comparison of how poor the UK state pension is compared to other yeah. European countries. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like the second lowest in the whole of Europe yeah. or something. Yeah. Yes. So yes. people might be worried for their pensions, but it's actually SNP policy to uh, make the pension the U the EU average. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I I saw that. I'm aware of that. You know, but. Um, that's got to be I mean it has to be on the leaflets it has to be there I think you know and I don't think we can underestimate that the importance of people being you know assured that if we were independent that wouldn't change they would still yeah. get their yeah. pensions yeah. you know that's yeah. you know yeah. and I think that's even, even more important than saying it's less than other places and all the rest you know you know they just want to know they can get it yeah, exactly <laughs> and i think you make a really good point actually when you say it you know it really we really do have to understand what it is that people are afraid of if they still are i mean okay yeah. so we were lied to last time round, but yeah, yeah. you know there are genuine fears that that that, that some of the, not all old age pensioners by any means, but you know, quite a few probably do have. And it's a good point that we do have to understand those and be able to talk about mm -hmm. them. And then I think the mm -hmm. other thing to do, one of the other leaflets that we've got in Pensioners for Indy is, um, it's just a little A5, like postcard size. 
and it just yeah. it just looks at you know the older age group and the younger age group and tries to say simply look we've got a lot in common you know young folk want scotland to be independent you know partly it's not uh, you know our our uh, generation is maybe important just now because we're not yet convinced but we're not important in the long term in the long term Absolutely it's, it's our kids and our grandkids that are the ones that Absolutely. will take it forward and you know yeah. I think that's the other thing to do to try and say well look what you know let's let's think about what they want and what can we do to help them yes yeah abs I, I absolutely agree you know our our, I'm, I'm not. I'm hoping not to drop down tomorrow, but <laughs> yes, our time is you. done. <laughs> our time is done. We've had yeah. our lives. You know, Scotland's future is for the young. You know, and that's um, that's really important. That's that's who I do it for. You know, not for me. You know, but for them. Yeah. For them. You know, yeah. And for the opportunities that they could have. And I've never felt that. It's only recently I've seen Scotland with a bit of self-esteem, to be honest. You know, and I think Scotland lacked self-esteem for a long time because we were treated as if we were second-class citizens. But recently, we began to recover some of our self-esteem. You know, just began to hold our heads up a bit. You know, and um, because of our, um, because we've been awakened, if you like. You know, so. So sorry, that might just be complete rubbish. But <laughs> I trust you to edit out. Edit out no, I don't think it is. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just... I know. I I think it's true. I think. I mean, sometimes you know that down at, at over at Holyrood, and they have these. You know, they have a youth parliament, and they have yes. days when there's debates, and it's not the MSPs. It's kids coming in, and you know, yeah. from schools. And I've watched some of them. I think. God, I couldn't have done that when I was that age. I mean, yeah. I, I I was fairly confident, but not yeah. just not like that. Actually, I don't think that's just down to politics. So I think it's also to do with the education system as yeah. yeah. out of recognition. Yeah. Like when when I mean, when we were at primary school, you sat and you were quiet and you learned, and that was it. Whereas now, if you go into a primary school, you know. Like when I used to be a, a principal teacher, pupil support, one of my jobs was to go to the primary for the kids coming up, you know, and speak to them. And they would have a sort of question time where yeah. you go and the, the kids would all get to ask you questions about the secondary and they would have a panel. And usually that event was completely organised by the pupils themselves. Mm they organized it yeah. one of them would have the roving mic and would be the presenter and their confidence and their articulacy yeah. was just wonderful and that's yeah. built but that's actually built into the learning outcomes of the much derided <laughs> curriculum for excellence you know the <laughs> idea of being responsible can, um, citizens and uh, active yeah. contributors. I've forgotten what all the terminology is. It shows you how long I've been away now. But you know, being a positive um, contributor, a confident um, and confidence, resilience, and being a, a citizen are all learning outcomes that are built in there. And I think that it's, is yeah. definitely bearing yeah. fruit. Yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. And it yeah. certainly, it certainly. I mean, certainly from like. Uh, from my, from my point of view, it does make me kind of think, well, there's, I mean, it's not even just the, the youngsters, but, you know, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings, there's generations of people that look pretty well capable of running Scotland and, you know, creating, developing yeah. it into the kind of, yeah. you know, outward-looking, yeah. progressive country that we want. Yeah. And hopefully, the three of us will still be there to, you know, cheer them on. Yeah. Really, the one, the the one thing that I've always, always said to people in conversations about independence is, is that Scotland has churned out the best scientists, engineers, doctors, um, explorers, everything. Why on earth 
would we not be able to run our own country successfully? Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. 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 Maybe we'll have you back. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to get. I'd like to get back to the soapbox in the park. That's what. <laughs> Sometimes, Grace, we have a thing where, um, a sort of we news review panel where we we maybe have like an an item or where we get a small number of people on to discuss it. So maybe that's something you we you would consider being involved in. We'd love to hear your your views. Okay, that's, that's a lovely thing to think about. Thank you very much for inviting me to take part in this. Okay. Both Marlene and I thought he'd be a great interviewee because we've come across Gavin in various Zooms in for SMP Kelvin and also the other night in the Yes Glasgow Northwest. And Marlene noticed that you'd mentioned, you know, the fact that although you're a Scotsman who supports independence, that you actually live in Holland and that more uh, even more interestingly that you're a lorry driver and so therefore we thought you'd be really well placed to give us some um uh, some uh, some insights into your experience of how brexit is affecting that and also to attitudes to scotland and scottish independence where you stay so do you want to start off gavin by telling us a bit of just a bit about yourself you know about how you came to be living and working there in holland uh, how I came to be living and working here in Holland goes back to 1998, where I came, had been, came back from backpacking my way around uh, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, the States, Canada. I came back down via London, back up to Edinburgh, and back out to Macquarie, where I grew up. And um, uh, really, I've spent a few months back in Macquarie. And I'd seen the big bad world and uh, I didn't really find it terribly exciting anymore in the small village. And I uh, thought, right, okay, we went to Glasgow. Spent a couple of years with my sister on West Princess Street in Glasgow. Um, and even then, it, uh, I was not being terribly successful and hitting a, a brick wall in uh, various uh, so I decided to put my backpack back on and go to into Europe and I got as far as the German border and I'm now sitting in Nimey here which is on about 10 minutes away from the German border. And if you're in any way interested in history, I can put that quick, quite quickly on the map for any of your listeners. It's uh, just about 20 minutes south of Arnhem and the bridge at Arnhem, oh, yeah. which featured in the film A Bridge Too Far. Can I ask you then, Gavin, have you been directly affected by Brexit in your job so far? And if so, how, how have you been affected? The first and the easiest way to answer that is very directly. I had to, um, first of all, um, in the Netherlands, you have to be written in with the local government, so you have to have an official address. That's fine if you're working for a um, local company. And also, I realised that after Brexit, none of my driving licences would be um, valid anymore. So you're, you're, I have a bus driving licence as well. So my bus driving licence and my truck driving licence would have been invalid. Also, my Code 95. Um, would have been invalid so I had to get all of that swapped over and that was a little bit bureaucratic but at the end of the day I now have a Dutch um, driving license and uh, and I'm now going to do in the Netherlands I'm going to do because I ha well that now means that I have to then if I want to get my articulated truck driving license I have to do that here in the Netherlands which I am currently busy with 
The other thing is I needed to become um, a resident. So I had to mm. apply for a residency card. Uh, that was quite complicated, but it also means that I, it's more to do with, uh, uh, you have to be self-sufficient and you, in other words, economically viable. And uh, you also have to be, um, uh, you have to pay for your uh, own uh, health insurance every month. So I pay about a hundred euros every month on the health insurance, that's minimum health insurance. I was quite worried uh, up until recently because I didn't get my residency card until uh, late October and uh, I couldn't sign on for any benefits. And even now I'm very reluctant to go and ask for any benefits um, because simply it's not allowed if you're a non-EU member state. So I'd be very uh, worried about losing uh, my job. Yeah. It's more, it's more about not working than working. I can change my job. But you are actually working at the moment. I start a new job on Tuesday. Okay. And uh, so, um, in, in, are you aware of the reactions of, like, are you friendly with sort of other lorry drivers? Other who truck drivers. Are you aware of their reactions? <sighs> the right, I, have, I have one friend that drives regularly to uh, England and he is reluctant to go back. Mm. So I think he's going to give up that particular route. I think that's more to do with the, well, it's very difficult to tell at the moment because of the corona situation. Um, uh, normally you'd be able to see about the traffic between Cali and Dover and between the ports and if traffic was still flowing mm -hmm. and how many trucks were going in between and, and that sort of thing, but because of corona, it's difficult to tell whether that has dropped. Yeah. And the best people to ask would be the Road College Association. Because well, so it's uh, quite difficult to know what has been affected by Brexit and what's been affected by the coronavirus, you know, to separate the two. Yeah, correct. So, I, well, I mean, as I'm saying, that the one friend of mine that does regularly go there, he's now saying to his boss, I don't want to go anymore. At the moment, he is. I mean, maybe coming down the line, you'll start, um, all the paperwork will be in order and, and everything, they'll be able to uh, go regularly and they'll already have the paperwork, so it won't be that I did see an interview on the news that, that said that um, a lot of the long distance lorry drivers that come to Britain with supplies, particularly from the likes of Holland, eh, where you know we've got constantly got big lorries delivering flowers, for example, you know all the time and vegetables. A lot of the lorry drivers, there'll be Dutch guys, but there's also a lot of Eastern European drivers who are self-employed, and they are paid by the number of miles they drive or kilometers rather, and therefore. Um, you know, they're just not going to come to Britain anymore because they're going to spend like ages. Right, they'll be, they'll be reluctant to do that because they'll be sitting getting checks all the time. I mean, there are other ways to get to. Uh, I mean, you can go, uh, there is a lot of traffic between Hook, Van Holland, and Harwich. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's Newcastle, Hook, Van Holland as well. Uh, but they're much more, they're slow, um, well the Hook Van Holland, Newcastle is quite a slow overnight route. Mm. So I, I don't think uh, truck drivers, unless they're supplying directly into Scotland or the north of England, uh, it's more expensive. I don't think that they'd really be taking that route. Well, the fastest route is to Cali Dover and they're going practically turn around minutes, sure, yeah. like 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah. It's really boom, boom, you're on, boom, door closes and they're away. And then you're two hours later, you're coming off in, in Cali and then... Do you think there'll be any mileage in an independent Scotland re reintroducing, you know, a longer haul ferry um, service like no. from <laughs> That'd be a difficult one because again, yeah, yeah, no, really that's difficult to say because you really you're talking about the same length of time between coming out of, uh, I would assume, Edinburgh, uh, Fife area, down the, the first the fourth and then over uh, that would that would be an overnighter as well. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. You'd, end up, uh, you'd end up in uh, the same general area, you'd end up in that coastal area. From Nijmegen, for example, it's two hours for me to get into Rotterdam. 
or Amsterdam, I think Van Holland. But it's four and a half hours down to Cali. So I could easily make four and a half hours down to Cali. Home, ferry over, and four and a half hours wherever I needed to be and, and, and uh, getting up the road wherever I needed. So it's a, you... it's a logistical problem. It would be a logistical problem. Yeah, I, I saw a conversation about it on uh, a Facebook um, page. There's a a page called I think it was on the one that's called the Spider Principle, and it's all about Scottish independence. But some so, uh, one of the guys on it had had tried to work out the pros and cons in terms of well time, which you know you've been mentioning, but also fuel costs and ferry uh, ferry costs and things. He reckoned it it, it wouldn't really be right, feasible. There's another there's another big one here, and I don't know the answer to it. Cabotage. If you look that one up on Wikipedia, um, what it actually really means is that if I've got a, I don't know if it's included in this uh, trade agreement. I don't know because I haven't read the trade agreement and I haven't heard anything about anybody mentioning it. So, um, can you say that word again, Gavin? Cabotage. 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 It basically, this is what it means, right? I've got a load. I have to go from London to Paris. I take my load from London to Paris, I drop it in Paris and I come back. But actually, uh, or I'm coming from Paris to London, I take it to London, I drop it and I come back empty. But colliers don't want to do that. They want to keep keep a load on anywhere. Or we go to London, go to somewhere else in London, pick up another load, go somewhere else, and then drop off, pick up, drop off, pick up, and then go to uh, Dover. And and go to Cali and then come back to Paris or vice versa. But with cabotage, if there's a lack of cabotage, that system will, will open. I don't know if it's included, to be honest. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't do that route. Uh, I used to be a bus driver going from uh, Naimi, our name actually, down through Naimi here, over to um, Eindhoven and down to uh, Antwerp. Brussels and then on to Paris and I was wor working for a company called Flexbus so I could do that So would you have done that trip, was that driving people in a bus? That was driving people in a bus Yeah, yeah and then when, did you bring folk back on a return leg or? Uh, oh, yes I did Yeah. 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 Uh, this is where I, I, I first heard the uh, um, point, uh, this is where I first heard the I don't know whether um, I don't know whether it got included in that. I would I would assume that if it's not included, then uh, the the haulier companies in the UK would be up in arms. So I don't know what's going on. I, I have seen interviews with some road haulage bosses saying, you know, how worried they are about about how things are going. Um, um, that's why you know we were interested to get your perspective, yeah. but I suppose it's early days yet. It's very so difficult to say at this stage. Very stage. difficult. Yeah. And whether people are going to get better at doing the paperwork, and they know which lane they're going to have to be in. Are they going to be in the uh, that lane or the orange lane? Customs to declare. There's also something called rules of origin. Yes. Which is uh, being quite. There was a couple of people to. Uh, look up on Twitter would be Sam Lowe and Steve Pierce. They they know everything about rules of origin and the the um the 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 trade agreement. Absolutely everything there. Uh, Steve Pierce is the head of the Good Essex Law Society or something. He's a lawyer, law, law professor. But if you if you follow him on Twitter he knows absolutely everything. Yes, yeah, so, well, there's been there's been a bit of um, uh, a few news items about the whole thing about country of origin, and you know something comes in from China, comes in through the EU over to Britain, gets put into a product here, so it's part of the supply chain. But then when right. that goes back to the EU, that's that's a different country of origin because part of right. it's come from elsewhere, and it does yeah. sound. And then that uh, that attracts uh, all you know, these a parts that come in, but it's yeah. actually only assembled yes. in the United Kingdom, yeah. only assembled in. Yeah, exactly. in the Think of all these car parts that are actually assembled in the UK, but they're bits and pieces and bits that are manufactured yeah. in 
in uh, factories in France and in Germany and all over the places. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I mean, no wonder that the kind. I mean, I, I gather that the actual printed out agreement is two very kind of thick volumes of uh, that weigh, you know, three or four kilos between them. So it's uh, it's obviously pretty complicated. So uh, do you bring, do you drive stuff um, over into the UK or are you more driving around Europe? Uh, I was driving mostly around Holland, actually, uh -huh, right. around the Netherlands. Uh, I actually stopped driving the bus sort of be half because of Brexit and I wasn't quite sure where I was with Brexit and uh, and um, where I would be after Brexit, where that would be if there was a hard Brexit. And the other one was simple, I just wanted to sleep in my own bed every night. And uh, and so do you speak fluent Dutch now then? I do actually, yes. Reasonably. Well, that's an achievement. Well, I've <laughs> been coming back and forth for nearly 20 years already. Talking about Holland then, uh, how aware are you um, of attitudes? You know, what are the perceptions of people where you stay, Gavin, towards Scotland and Scot and possibly Scottish independence? Do you think people are aware that Scotland has got a different attitude to Brexit than, than England does? Do you think uh, that? Among, amongst my friends, yes, because I make sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. Um, <laughs> And obviously, yeah, my former work colleagues didn't really and said, say, no, the Englishman, and I'm going, no, 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 I'm Scottish, no. And they do refer to the island as England yeah. most of the time. So they don't really see Scotland. And if they, they see, you know, they, it's the usual stuff. It's the, the shortbread, uh, whiskey, uh, bagpipes, and uh, men wearing skirts, you know. Castles. <laughs> So, See, I, that's not been my experience. Like, I go to France a lot, and I have done for many, many years since I was a young lassie. And uh, I've got close friends over there. And um, when I first went in the 70s, you would see maps of Britain with Angleterre written the whole way up. And people, you know, could not get over the fact that I would go Je suis Écossais, je suis pas anglaise. They thought you were being political, and I'm like, no, English and Scottish is not the same. But now that has totally changed, and I think one of the reasons is because of the football. Because when the football team, when the World Cup was in France, um, I think twice now, isn't it? Um, people were extremely. Uh, made aware of the difference between England and Scotland from their football supporters and the Tartan army did quite a good job there as ambassadors you know yeah. French people most French people now know the difference between Scottish and English I think yeah and the French are also big rugby players yeah so true yeah that's, that's true. true yeah um, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid not really in the Netherlands I'd be surprised I was quite surprised sometimes when I to university educated people and I'd try and go, you know, oh, you're from uh, England. And you'd go, no, 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 further north. Oh, you're from Iceland. Oh, no, 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 further <laughs> south. Close, but no, you know, and then and eventually you'd settle in Scotland and they go, oh, right, okay, 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 okay. So you, when we when we were chatting beforehand before we started recording this, um, you mentioned that you'd been interviewed or you'd actually had a, a someone from one of the local um, radio stations uh, spend a bit of time with you, and then they came over to Scotland to speak to your family. So was that? I I kind of took it that that was them focusing in the fact that you were Scottish, but maybe they were just focusing in the fact that you were British and Brexit. I, I think it was originally starting on purely on Brexit, right? Uh, but then I did point out to him that I was Scottish, and then he picked up on that. So um, it was also mostly because my my parents at the time, uh, still two years ago now, had uh, an apartment in uh, Perpignan. So they'd, uh, uh, you know, they'd retired to the south of France. So we were kind of an inter uh, international European yeah, family. Yeah. Me living here, yeah. them, my sisters living in Scotland, and uh, my parents uh, in in Perpignan. Yeah. So, so what's the general kind of response amongst Dutch folk about Brexit? And 
At the moment, I don't think they care. They get on with it, when you go. Yeah, yeah. It's not really hitting the newspapers that much. It did the week uh, after New Year. So for a couple of days after New Year, it hit the news a little bit here. And uh, but I, I don't think they're making a big deal of it. It's our problem. It's yeah, exactly. not, not Europe's problem anymore. It's understandable, isn't yeah. it? I don't blame them, really. So in, in terms of COVID, how, how are the COVID restrictions affecting you at the moment? Is, is Holland in pretty strict lockdown just now? Or what, what is um, the situation with you? Uh, the answer to that is uh, um, yes, uh, we're right. They had fairly strict. Uh, the, the whole of the Horeca uh, was closed, shut. Horeca being hotel, restaurants, and catering, right? So that's the Horeca. Horeca, hotel, restaurants, and catering, all closed. Uh, the snack bars are open, that's takeaways, pizzas, uh, yeah. fish and chips, all that sort of things are open. Everything else is closed. Um, the ordinary everyday shops, uh, well, it was a bit like a quiet shopping day every day because the shops were still open. However, about a week before Christmas, they had uh, what is known as the sprat from the Torichin, the, the speaking from the tower, and that's when the Prime Minister has to, uh, he makes a speech from the tower, which is his office in Den Haag, in The Hague. Now that hasn't been done, to just give you an idea of how serious that is and how serious they take it, that hasn't been done since 1974 and the oil crisis of 1974. So that's how serious they're taking it. And they closed down almost everything else. However, it's pretty much the same as, I believe it's pretty much the same as in uh, the UK, uh, or should I say England. Uh, and. I don't know. Is Scotland, Scotland closed down even further? Did they not? It's a bit more. Some things are 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 closed down in Scotland right. that aren't don't, in England. Don't leave your house unless you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Although that is meant to be the same in England, but in England, you know, churches and other places of worship are still open. What about builders and they're not plumbers and. Yeah, you can still get. You can still have tradesmen coming in yeah. if it's really necessary. I think you're allowed essential construction, but you are allowed workmen to come into your house. Yeah. yeah. A lot. I mean, I walked through uh, one of the shopping centres here to get to the supermarket, and everything was closed. But quite a lot of uh, businesses had their lights on. There was somebody there, but it had appointment only on the door. Oh, right. So if yeah. you and then the telephone number, so you could you could uh, definitely make an appointment if you needed to, or you could do it. I'm but assuming if you couldn't do it online or you weren't yeah. happy about doing it online. Uh, Is that like click and collect? Then you would like order no, something and then pick um, it up? No, I, mean, I mean more like the opticians or the bank. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And anything you need uh, in, in that sense is, is still has to be at least a little bit open for people. Yeah, well, the opticians are still open here. Um, you know, there well, are certain things that are classified as essential services. So opticians um, and so on are, are still open. They did stay on the opticians uh, um, by appointment only. I just yeah. got these glasses last week, so well, <laughs> I can test These are my first pair ever. I've never <laughs> ever had glasses, ever. Ah, uh, you're, yeah. you're getting to that age, Gavin. Come Me on. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I don't. Sorry, carry on. I beg your pardon. Oh, no, I don't think there is. I think everywhere is. I mean, I think Germany has a uh, uh, slightly more stricter. I think, but mostly, I mean, everybody's more or less the same. I think. I mean, it's not quite like March. They closed down the borders on in the German border here. Only ten minutes away from the border, uh, from here. Walked through Hoosbeek and over the border. I used to do my shopping in uh, Germany because it was cheaper. You could get a petrol cheaper, but I've not been since uh, uh, February la last year. Sure. But this time last year or something, sure. I've not been over the border because the border was shut. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't. Uh, 
and everything is uh, you have to have a face mask to do your shopping, to do your uh, supermarket shopping. So I think it's more or less the same. That sounds very similar. Yeah, sounds extremely similar to what we've got here. Yeah, I think the, that the, the biggest thing for me is traveling. I can't travel. Uh, yeah. It is. And when you say, Gavin, when you say you can't travel, so what are the restrictions around travel? That... Well, it's the same as anywhere. Don't travel if you don't need to. Aye, okay. And yeah. Also, the, the other thing was earlier this year, it wasn't don't travel, but it said if you get COVID and you're abroad, you weren't insured for it. So the, a lot of Dutch people took a hint of that. I mean, I know people that could drive to Spain and Portugal, we did. They didn't fly, they just drove. Mm. And then, of course, you know, if they get that, if they get COVID or Corona there, they're, they're not covered to go into hospital for Corona. That's what the insurance companies yeah. would be saying. Anyway, I'm not an expert on that. It's uh, um, what I'm... But, but that's very common, isn't it? Because then, I mean, it happened into Britain, uh, into the UK as well. People went abroad. Probably with us, it was people flying, but, you know, caught it over in Spain or Portugal or something and then came back home and proceeded to spread it around. So yeah, that was I probably I... happening all over Europe. Uh, yeah. Um... Uh, I'm not a virologist, but uh, I think it's uh, logical if you uh, if you're in contact with a lot of people not to sort of at least for a couple of days. Keep, uh, I mean, uh, recently, really, I've only ever been to the supermarket. That's it. <laughs> I lead a very boring lifestyle. <laughs> so I could tell you one story. I'll tell you my whole year actually, if you want. At the, at the beginning of last year there's something called carnival so we should be going into the carnival season at the moment it's mostly in the south of the Netherlands they, they go off and they get drunk and they misbehave it's a, it's a big thing in the south south of Nijmegen it happens every year and that was one what they identified last year I remember one, that one of the super spreaders oh yes they identified that as one of the spreaders so then it came into March and they were realising by that time they were realising that Spain and Italy, all the hospitals were filling up there, and they realised that, oh, oh, this is going to hit us. So then that's lockdown, and lockdown came here anyway, just before St. Patrick's Day in, uh, last year, so it was in the middle of March, and the probably the third week in March. 16th of March, St. Patrick's Day, is it no? Uh, 16th, 17th, something like yeah, that. 16th or 17th. They, well, they closed everything down just before that weekend. Now, that's the thing. I was expecting two things. My, my, my friend, she lives in South Korea, and she was planning to come over and visit, and we were going to go down and see my parents down in Perpignan. Of course, that never happened, because she she's a police uh, officer. She, she comes to South Korean, and, of course, she only gets uh, certain... Uh, dates to go on holiday and of course that was scuppered last 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 year so that never happened and I was working for a company that supplied the Horeca, the hotel restaurant catering, catering. of course uh, when my contract was up uh, they said they didn't say that they weren't uh, going to renew it but they told me that in March and of course, at that time, they were uh, still making us turn off at work, but they had to notify me that they weren't going to renew my contract. So basically, I just so I thought, this is too dangerous. I'm not going to work. I'm mixing with people here. And, uh, and, then, they, and then they closed down the Horeca completely. So everybody at my work was off, off work. And then, and then, of course, they, they, they're down to about 10 trucks, and they used to have about 50. Wow. And uh, I, went, I then, you know, the, the summer calmed down and it all went away or it all seemed to go, to go away or become much less. And everybody here thought, okay, it's not doing, everything's fine. But there were no festivals, no big football matches, no grand gatherings. And then coming in again, it started again. Same as in, the, same as in Scotland, you know. And uh, 
And uh, at that time, just at that time, I thought, okay, great, I'll get a new job. And I started working for InBev, and InBev supply beer and alcohol to pubs, restaurants, and hotels. So <laughs> about September there, that was me out of a job again. So I haven't actually worked since uh, September. So. Well, I hope things go well for you in the future, Gavin, and maybe you'll come back on and, and talk to us again in a few months and give us an update on how things are progressing over there. That's not a problem any time. I just hope your your listeners found it in the slightest bit interesting. Very much so. <laughs> maybe we should just finish off by asking you what your hopes are for the for NDF two for the the next our next referendum. Uh, and that is not scheduled yet, is it? Right. Yeah, it well, certainly is not. That's a uh, bit of a bone of contention. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I certainly do. I'm a member of the SNP and I do actually support the SNP. I don't, uh, I don't always agree with them. I don't always agree with their tactics. And uh, I do think, uh, um, you know, there is... You know, I mean, we're certainly definitely ahead in the polls, and I think we really need to. Do we wait until after the Holyrood election, you know, uh, and have it later this year in September? But, you know, Corona, COVID, is it a good time? It's, it's tactics, really. I would hope for the best, and I hope for a, a, a better result than uh, 2014. I'm glad to see an independent Scotland. Yeah, great. Yeah. Absolutely, couldn't agree more because uh, it really is more crucial than ever that we get our independence if we are going to recover from this. Uh, uh, we can build a new Scotland in the way we want it rather than in the model that the Tories want to. Well, to actually, we haven't had the, 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 the government we voted for since something like 1950, or we've had three or four since that we voted for since 1950. Yeah. yeah. Before we were on the go. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Gavin. Okay, no problem. Thank you very much. Really uh, thank you for coming. No problem. Just to hope you have a really good editing tool. Indie Live Radio.